Good morning, everyone. It's good to have you here this morning. Currently, our series is on the Holy Spirit, and we're looking at the the work of the Holy Spirit amongst us, His person, His presence, His power. And um, so what we've seen is that the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Godhead. But the fact is, is too many Christians know little about Him. But for the ages, for centuries, our church fathers have really and diligently sought to give us a biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit as well as the other topics of Scripture. Our, our, our church fathers have written confessions and catechisms and statements of faith. Catechism is just a system of learning, asking a question, and then responding with a biblical answer. So our church fathers would ask, are there more gods than one? And then answer, no, there is only one, the living and true God. And then they would ask, well, how many persons are there in the Godhead? And then they would answer, there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. These three are one God, same in substance, equal in power and glory. Now, I had a volunteer who was going to draw for me today, but I'm just going to do it myself if that's okay, all right? And uh, she, had it, she had it down pretty well. Again, it's something you all have probably seen before. just want to make sure that we're all on the same page. That the Bible teaches that there is one God. So everything we know about God, we put into that circle. There is one God. And in, in this oneness, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. And we see that these three persons are of the same substance. They're infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in their being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And we see that they have the same power, that they work amongst God's people to bring glory to God. Now, this word person is used within Christian theology to help us understand the role of the Godhead. We see God the Father is primarily understood as creator and sustainer. God the Son is primarily understood as redeemer and Lord. And we see God the Holy Spirit understood as our comforter and our guide. So we use this word person to give us the idea of their role. The person is not meant to suggest that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are people but rather to distinguish their functionality together in oneness. Now, the, pur- the purpose of this series is to better acquaint us with the person, the presence, and power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. The Bible teaches that when a person believes in Christ, they immediately receive the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit dwells in the believer. Scripture is like this. After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. So we see that immediately after listening to the message of truth, after hearing the gospel of our salvation, having believed, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit, which is a pledge or our first fruits evidence that we are the children of God. 
The apostle writes in other places, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And then he emphasizes it, who dwells in you. Wants to make sure that you know that. And then in a couple places, he just simply says, indeed, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So the fullness of the Spirit is not only for those who possess a spiritual gift. The fullness of the Spirit is not only for those who have had certain spiritual experiences. The fullness of the Spirit was not just for the first Christians recorded in the book of Acts, but it is for all of God's people throughout the ages. The Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit, is for you. See, the fullness of the Spirit is not just for a select few it's for all of God's people, from the greatest to the least, all of God's people, from the oldest to the youngest. The promise of the Spirit is recorded within Scripture where it declares, for, you, for the promise of the Spirit is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So the promise of the Spirit is for all those whom God calls to himself. It's for all of God's people. Now this morning I want to look at the topic of being led by the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit. This is not a complicated thing, but it is something I think we don't clearly understand. Too many Christians rely too little on the Holy Spirit to lead them in their daily pursuits. Too many Christians are self-led instead of spirit-led. Too many Christians rely upon their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own intuitions to be the guiding influences in their life instead of the Holy Spirit. Instead of being self-led, God wants us to be spirit-led. This is the way it's recorded in the book of Romans chapter 8. But the Bible says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You see, being led by the Spirit is a universal characteristic of all the children of God. No matter what continent you're on, doesn't matter what country you're from, doesn't matter your economic background, none of that matters. All who are led by the Spirit, are the children of God. This is an element of our koinonia, which means this is our commonality as Christians. We are led by the Spirit. For all, the text says, who are being led by the Spirit, these are the children, the sons of God. Now, being led by the Spirit is something that identifies us together as Christians. Not just a few people, but all of God's people. Being led by the Spirit, this text tells us, it confirms our full adoption as the sons of God and the daughters of God. But the question is certainly obvious. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit. So, let me provide for you a definition. This is 
my definition, so it could be an error. You can check it to find out. But let's look, use this as a template. The leading of the Holy Spirit is the supernatural work of the Spirit of God who continually strengthens the believer's desire and ability to please God. The leading of the Holy Spirit is a supernatural work of the Spirit of God to continually strengthen the believer's desire and ability to please God. So let me break down this scripture using some scripture, this, this definition using some scripture verses to help us understand. First of all, being led by the Spirit is not based upon our natural abilities. It has nothing to do with us. It's solely by the Spirit of God. It's a supernatural work of God in us by His Spirit. As the prophet declares, it's not by might, nor by power, but it's by His Spirit, says the Lord. Amen? So we don't look to our natural strength. As a matter of fact, what we're going to see a little bit later, that's exactly what He wants us to do away with. He wants us to be flooded with this spirit-led. We see that the being led by the Spirit is not something that unbelievers will ever experience. It's only experienced by those who are in Christ. As the Bible teaches us, by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. So, because we have His Spirit, knows that we truly abide in Christ. Thirdly, being led by the Spirit is not something that's sporadic. It's not something that only happens on certain occasions. But it's continuous. It affects all of our activities, every moment of our life. For if we live by the Spirit, we also walk by the Spirit. We don't just walk by the Spirit occasionally. We continually, ongoingly walk in the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit is a work of the Spirit of God to strengthen the believer's desire and ability to please God. We are weak people and we often lack the desire to please God. As a matter of fact, many times we want to do the exact opposite of pleasing God. But not only do we lack the ability or the desire, we lack the ability. Because remember, it's not natural tendencies. It's not natural that we do. This is the work of the Spirit. The Apostle writes it like this. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Notice, it is God who is at work in you. And what does he want to do? He wants to give you the will to do it. That is the desire. And he wants to give you the ability to do it. Both to will and to do God's good pleasure. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. Now the, leading, the, God, the Spirit's leading in our life of the children of God is not merely to suggest something that we should do. It's not like going to you know, a, an advisor, and then going to another advisor, and then another advisor, to gather up all these suggestions of what we should do. 
The Spirit's leading is not a suggestion. The, the Spirit's leading is not to point out to us a possible way that we should walk. The Spirit's leading is not to put something in our mind so that we could sit around and say, hmm, I wonder, yeah, maybe that's a good thing. I don't know about that. Uh, mm, yeah, let me think about that. I'll get back with you. That is not the Spirit's leading. The Spirit's leading wants to take hold of the helm of your heart. And the Spirit wants to guide us through the stormy sea of life. The Spirit of God, the child of God needs not to be rudderless, floating adrift on the sea of life, because the Spirit dwells in us. The Spirit is directing us and steering us in the way we should go. He is the captain leading and guiding us through the seas of life. Let me explain it like this. The Spirit of God leads the child of God like a shepherd leads his sheep to green pastures and quiet waters. The Spirit guides us in the paths of righteousness so that the child of God would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? And he uses his rod and his staff not as weapons of abuse, but he uses his rod and his staff to provide for us direction, security, and comfort to the flock of God. And the rod and the staff that I want us to look at this morning, the rod and the staff of the Spirit uses to give us divine direction is the Word of God and prayer. We are led by the Spirit of God through His divine direction through the Word of God. Now, how do we recognize the Spirit's guidance? How do we know the difference between our thoughts, and the leading of the Spirit. Well, one of the ways is for us to know the Word of God. To know the Word. The knowledge of God's Word gives us the ability to discern whether our thoughts are God's thoughts. And we must test all of our inclinations against the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit will never lead us to do something contrary to God's word. If you feel that the Spirit is leading you to do something that you know for sure is contrary to God's word, you're being deceived. You're being deceived. It's not the Spirit. It's you. And you can try to manipulate and fantasize and twist things in the way you want, but it's not being led by the Spirit. Now, the Bible tells us that time will come where people will not be able to endure sound doctrine. And they will turn away from the truth. And I believe that time has come. I actually believe it's come and it's even going further down the track. People today not only lack the endurance of sound doctrine... Many Christians don't even know how to spell doctrine. But 
Many people have stiff-armed the Word of God altogether. A person you're talking to maybe at work or in your neighborhood or a family member and you tell them, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And they're going to do, here you're going to do what? Why? Well, because the Bible tells me to do it. God's Word tells me to do it. You're stupid. You shouldn't do that. Well, but it's, it's obvious in Scripture that that's the way that God wants to lead me. Well, that's, that's silly. And the sad thing is sometimes we even get counsel like that from believers. Jesus told us that when he, that is the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. You see, the Holy Spirit is not only the author of scripture, but he is the one who guides us to walk out the scriptures in our life. If anybody knows the Bible, it's the Holy Spirit. And he's not going to contradict himself. That would not only go against the nature of God. That would be going against his own personal role as a member of the Godhead. Jesus also said to his disciples, These things I have spoken to you that while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said. So we see that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He's the one that we really want to teach us the Word of God. We have human teachers like I'm doing right now with you. But the essence of really receiving divine direction is by the Spirit teaching us the Word of God. He guides us into divine truth. And he causes us to remember... Uh, I know there's a verse in the Bible that, 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 that doesn't match up with what I'm thinking right now. He reminds us. Now, Christians, we're called to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is a, a metaphor of the Word of God. So the idea is, as Christians, we're called to take up the Word of God, like we would take up a sword. And then elsewhere in Scripture it says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit, both the joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, again, this portion of Scripture is using the same metaphor of the, as the Word of God as the sword that wants to do divine surgery on each one of our hearts. And then it gives two illustrations so that we can understand the detailed work of the Spirit of God using the Word of God. It's able to divide the soul and the spirit, which is, where, where's that division? How, how, how do I make the line? Where, how do I make the incision? Able to divide joint and moral, maybe if I'm, Moral, maybe if I'm a you know, knee surgeon, I could do something like that. But you wouldn't want to give me a scalpel to do something like that. But then the point, the punchline, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And that's what we expect the Holy Spirit to do, is to judge our thoughts and intentions of our heart, to give us divine direction. As a believer grows in the knowledge of God's word, the Holy Spirit leads them 
to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible actually says we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Well, if you don't know what the obedience of Christ is, how are you going to take it captive? You take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, I have to know what the obedience of Christ is. Now, the fact is, our hearts are deceitful. Can't really be trusted. But the Holy Spirit can. And the Holy Spirit can give us the ability to judge ourselves according to the Word of God. This is how we stand firm against the desires of the flesh. This is how we stand firm against the lust of the flesh. This is how we stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Is according to the Spirit's teaching, guiding the word of us in the Word of God. Now, in a practical application, this is the reason why we encourage you to be part of a Bible study. And many of you have taken that encouragement. I want to thank you for that. Knowing the Word of God is key if we really want to be led by the Spirit, if we want to be modeling what it means to be a child of God. Now, the Bible tells us that we should be receiving the Word of God with great eagerness, as well as it tells us that we should be examining the Scriptures daily. So we look at the Word of God not only for our moral conduct, but we look to the Word of God of how to conduct our business, how to have our relationships, how we look at the Word of God across the board, all of our activities. We search out the Word of God diligently. And if the children of God will receive divine direction from the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, then the Bible tells us that we will be made complete equipped for every good work. God, through His Word, has given us the keys of life, the instructions, so that we might know how to please God. Now, the second way that I want to look at this morning is receiving divine direction through prayer. All right, so here's the deal. Seeking divine direction of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God is fairly black and white. There's a chapter and verse for it. The Bible says, do not do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. There's chapter and verse. I can see it right there. It's black and white. It's very clear. But receiving divine direction through the Spirit, through prayer, well, this is more subjective. It it comes like this, is that I have two job offers on the table. I can't find a chapter and verse to tell me which one to take. So what do I do? I seek divine direction through prayer. Through prayer. These are the areas in our lives where we really can't find a chapter and verse. Things we really need to God's direction in our life, but we don't have a verse for it. Now, the apostle instructs the church at Ephesus, which is recorded in the Word of God, so that means it's for every one of us, these words. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Now, this idea of praying in the Spirit freaks a lot of Christians out. Because as soon as I say, 
pray at all times in the Spirit, you're starting to think about these Christian fanatics. You're, talk, you're starting to think about some Pentecostal outpouring where everybody is speaking in tongues in the Spirit. But that's not what this is talking about at all. As a matter of fact, because the Spirit of God dwells in you, you have the divine ability to pray in the Spirit at all times. But you've been fooled. You've been fooled to think that it's only for a certain sect of Christianity. It's only for those people, those weird people. It's a lie. It's for all those who have the Spirit. Now, I can say with certainty that the Apostle Paul, when he writes these words, is not referring to speaking in tongues, as some argue. How do I come to that certainty? Because the subject of speaking in tongues is nowhere in the context. You can't find it anywhere in, in, in the book of Ephesians. What are you talking about? And if speaking in tongues is a valid gift for the day, as some would argue, then those same people teach that only some Christians gain the ability to speak in tongues. But Paul's writing this to the whole church. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing it to the whole church. Saying, pray at all times in the Spirit. We've been bushwhacked. Praying at all times in the Spirit is for all believers. It's not just for the spiritually gifted. And the best way to understand what it means to pray in the Spirit is to consider the polar opposite of the Spirit. And when you study the Word of God, what you'll see is the polar opposite of the Spirit is the flesh. The polar opposite of the Spirit is the flesh. So what Paul is saying here is pray at all times in the Spirit instead of praying all the time in the flesh. Now this idea of praying in the flesh, you probably never really considered that. But that's what we do. That's what we have the tendency to do is to pray in the flesh and not in the Spirit. So what is this praying in the flesh? Well, it's using and relying upon human methods and human techniques to get God's attention. We think if we can just wake him up. But Jesus gives us a glimpse of what it means to pray in the flesh when he tells us not to pray in order to be seen by others. So if you're praying to be able to be seen by others, then you're, playing, you're praying in the flesh. He goes on to say, do not use meaningless repetition. So if you're just praying the same thing over and over and over again and your heart isn't changing, you're just using meaningless repetition. It's not talking about reading a certain prayer. It's talking about your heart's not changing. And then thirdly, Jesus says, do not use the, the abundance of words. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Jesus says, don't use the abundance of words when words is all we have to pray with. <laughs> So it's not about the words. Probably the most cleanest, 
praying in the Spirit is done by new Christians. When you ask that person to pray, and that person says, well, I don't know how to. Perfect! And then they're kind of like, uh, 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 God, uh, I love you. I mean, it's like so pure, so innocent. It's not this abundance of words. Jesus tells us a parable about the difference between praying in the flesh and praying in the spirit. When he tells us about two men who went up to the temple to pray. You're probably familiar with this parable. One was self-righteous and spiritually prideful, basically telling God everything he's done, basically saying, hey, because I've done all this stuff, God, you should hear my prayers. And then the other guy was humble, pleading with God for God's mercy and confessing the fact that he was a sinner. And Jesus told us that the first guy was praying in the flesh. These are Kelso words. And the second guy was praying in the spirit. You remember the scripture that says, the humble and contrite heart God will never despise. And that's what the second guy was. Now our church fathers taught us that prayer is the offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. I love that definition. I think it's perfect. I think our fathers had done great to search out the word of God. And I love that they start out and say prayer is an offering up of our desires to God. It's offering up our desires to God. But for the things agreeable to his will. It's always in the name of Jesus because Jesus is the authority and our access to all things from God. We always confess our sins and we always give thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. So let me just suggest to you this. That praying in the Spirit is not some tongue speaking. And there might be people here that are tongue speakers. I'm not putting you down. I've been there. I've done that. But praying in the Spirit is not tongue talking. Praying in the Spirit is the freedom to open our hearts up to God. Praying in the Spirit is the liberty to express our deepest desires... And our deepest disappointments. You can tell God exactly what you want. And you can tell God your deepest hurt. He can handle it. He's God, you know. And you putting on a little show doesn't impress him. You see, praying in the spirit is the freedom of utterance. What that means is sharing your thoughts as well as it's the liberty of expression that is sharing your emotions. And and the book of Psalms, which is the book of prayers, is full of this. Let me just give you one example. Here's David praying in the Spirit. How long, O Lord... (laughs) How many have ever asked that question? (laughs) How long, O Lord, 
Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long will my enemies be exalted over me? Consider me. Answer me, O God, my Lord. Enlighten my eyes. That is praying in the Spirit right there. Look at this. He's saying, Lord, where are you? How long am I going to be living with this sorrow in my heart? And all the time I'm living in this sorrow in my heart, my enemies are prospering. (laughs) Oh, come on. Lord, consider me. Answer me, please. And then I love the last phrase. Enlighten my eyes. Basically, what's he doing? He's opening up his heart to God. He's telling God exactly what he feels and what he's going through. And this kind of, but he is doing it, saying, Lord, but I want to be in agreement to your will. So I'm not saying my perspective is the right perspective. What I'm saying is I'm coming here honestly, openly, telling you how I feel, what's going on, but I want you to enlighten my eyes. That's praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is our confession that our tendency is always to pray in the flesh. It's admitting that our inability, we don't know how to pray as we ought. And it's the surrendering to the Spirit of God to search our hearts, our motive, our intentions. People have asked me a thousand times, does prayer change anything? And the answer is yes. Prayer changes my heart. And if prayer isn't changing your heart, then you're you're praying in the flesh. You're not praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit gives us the confidence that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Actually, the Holy Spirit is interceding to the Father on our behalf. And He's leading us to the comprehension to know that God causes all things to work together for good according to His purposes. The praying in the Spirit is asking the Spirit to strengthen us in our weakness of our finiteness, in our weakness of our ignorance, in the weaknesses of our infirmities. The Spirit helps us in our weakness of our finiteness, not knowing, knowing the Spirit knows that we're incapable to know the thoughts of God. So the Spirit helps us. The Spirit knows that God's ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So what does the Spirit do? The Spirit comes and helps us. The Spirit helps us in the weakness of our ignorance. The Spirit understands that we, can, we only see through a dim mirror. And we only know in part. The Spirit knows that you don't know the backstory. That you only have a tunnel vision when it comes to this. The Spirit knows that. So what does the Spirit do? When you pray in the Spirit, He intercedes for us. Helping us to understand that we're ignorant. Maybe there's another way. Maybe something else is going on that I can't see. I don't know, but I need to trust God. The Spirit helps us in our weakness of our infirmities as we suffer and groan within ourselves. 
God, why am I so sick all the time? Why do I have this pain all the time? Why, why, why? The Spirit knows that we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the redemption of our body, and the Spirit comes and intercedes for us. Okay. I don't know if you're getting it or not. Basically, praying in the Spirit is asking that according to the riches of the Father's glory, that he would grant that we would be strengthened with the power through his Spirit in our innermost being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That's Bible. That's the Trinitarian formula of what we're desiring. That according to the Father's glory, he may grant us to be strengthened with the power of his Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That's praying in the Spirit. God, I know, Lord, I know that you are rich in mercy, but Lord, I am weak, and I desire, Lord, for you to come and strengthen me right now because I'm about ready to pass out. Strengthen me. Lord, strengthen me in such a way that my feeble knees are straightened, that I might stand up to declare the glories of Christ. Strengthen me, Lord. That's praying in the Spirit. God the Father hears the prayers of God the Spirit on the basis of the finished work of God the Son. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Brothers and sisters, my encouragement for you today is that we would be led by the Spirit because we are the children of God. And I'm asking you to seek the Spirit to give you divine guidance through the Word of God, that you would dig into God's Word, that you would seek divine direction through praying in the Spirit, that you would pour yourself out as a drink offering unto the Lord. So let us together seek the leading of the Spirit in our lives through all of our activities, through every moment of our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we come to you today as weak and feeble people, relying too heavily on our own tendencies, our own abilities, our own thoughts, our own reason, our own judgments. But Lord, we know that all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, and we want to be led by the Spirit today. Lord, we come to you today and ask you to teach us your word. We ask you today, Lord, to give us confidence to pray in the Spirit, to be open. Lord, we come to you today and ask, uh, and ask you that you would work in our hearts in such a way that we would not only live by the Spirit, but that we'd walk by the Spirit. And we pray these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.